0: what's up everybody and welcome to three wide in the middle your home for all things racing and we've got a heck of a show today i say we but it's just me today flying solo once again as you guys know these last few weeks has been just crazy with the schedule for me and keith and uh once again not on the same time frame unfortunately but We do have a lot to dive into as we've got big news with the high limit all-star acquisition. What does this mean for the world of outlaws? Does it mean anything? I've heard a lot of stuff being said out there about it. Um, People literally saying that this is the next cart IRL split. So I'm going to cover that and why I think that is just an absolutely absurd Notion. We got NASCAR news is the last race of the round of eight. Kicks off literally tomorrow. We got qualifying today as it's Saturday, the time of recording this. Uh drivers on the bubble. Ryan Blaney 10 points above the cut line with both Denny Hamlin and Martin Truex Jr., two of the favorites going into the playoffs this year, sitting 17 points behind. So we're going to cover that and really dive into kind of the future of sprint car racing as, uh, this news about high limit and all starts kind of led me down a path, diving into money and, um, purses schedules, uh, talking to some, uh, buddies of mine who, you know, race sprint cars and are in the know with a lot of these people and really, really interesting stuff. And I, I'm going to be taking a completely different path on this high limit all-star merger um, and what it could mean going forward. Because I actually think this could be the potential downfall of non-wing sprint car racing. And I'll explain what I mean by that in today's show. So, ton of stuff to cover on today's episode, so stick around. Right, so like I said, we've got some big, big news in the dirt racing world with the high limit all star acquisition. um you know, I'm just gonna refer to it as high limit, all right, I'm not gonna keep saying high limit all stars or the merger or anything. I'll just when I say high limit, I'm talking about the high limit and the all stars, okay um and we're gonna dive into that. That's gonna be the bulk of the show today um since basically it's just me gonna be talking. Um, but before we get into that, I do want to cover a couple of things on the NASCAR front. We did have the race last week at Homestead. Uh, Christopher Bell got the win, has locked himself into the final four. Bell, I mean this this kid. Uh, I say kid, but he's he's a man. But you know, he just his ability to win these races if you remember last year he did the same thing at the cutoff races right he won the roval race to get into the round of eight he won martinsville to get into the the final four um the guy when it's crunch time he's just right there uh he was right there at vegas the week before just wasn't able to finish it off larson got the win at homestead Bell was able to get the win. And if you look at the race, it, it's not like he was up there dominating the race. In fact, Ryan Blaney was probably one of the stronger cars. Uh, same thing with Kyle Larson um, through, you know, the first three quarters of the race, uh, you know, at least the first two stages. So Bell gets the win. He's locked into the final four. And that essentially gives us uh Pretty interesting situation as we head into Martinsville. So right now, like I said, Bell and Larson locked in. William Byron currently sits 30 points above the cutoff for the final four. Ryan Blaney sits 10 points above the cutoff. Um, You know, we will have at minimum one driver point their way into the final four because this is the last race of the round of eight tomorrow. and you know one person wins that'll at most give us three winners obviously there is a chance that we could get a winner who's not in currently in the playoffs but and then one's going to point their way in um if we look at those who are below the cutoff line tyler reddick right now sits 10 points below the cutoff line Martin Truex Jr. and Denny Hamlin are both 17 points below the cutoff line. And then Chris Busher is 43 points below the cutoff line. One thing I want to say really quick about Buescher, I, that Yes, that there is a good chance. Or I shouldn't say a good chance. But there is a chance that he can go into Martinsville and win this race. Absolutely 100%. Whether or not he makes the Final Four, I think... Is really irrelevant. I do. The season that they have had has been incredible. It's been incredible. They 100% have built themselves a foundation to move forward on, uh not only into 2024, but beyond. Now, obviously, what kind of changes will we see to the car next year? If any, I don't know. What kind of changes? likely will we see to the tire i think that's going to be a bigger deal is with the changes that we see to the tire um one thing we've noticed with you know removing the downforce on the short tracks and stuff like that doesn't really do much okay with this tire these cars at these short tracks have so much mechanical grip and the tires are so hard there's no fall off and you can pretty much just run the hell out of them for an entire run And there's not really any fall off. So, you know, will we see changes to the tires? I imagine we will. I know a lot of people have been calling for that. I know Keith and I personally have been calling for that. I think that's the two biggest things that NASCAR could do that would yield the greatest results. Also, the quickest would be to increase the horsepower and soften up the tire. Okay. Okay. Doing those two things alone, I think, would drastically improve the short track package that we've got right now. Um, because we've talked about it before, it sucks. It's not very good. It's to even say it's not very good is a compliment. It's not good at all. Okay, it's it's actually horrible. So, you know, um, you know, will there be changes next year that affect the you know RFK? I don't know, but I can tell you right now, they've had a phenomenal season. Busher should definitely be happy. And they've got something to really build off of moving forward. Um, Truex and Hamlin, on the other hand, if they don't make the, the Final Four, this is going to be a, a disappointing year. I really thought that Denny Hamlin was was going to be in the Final Four and competing for the championship. In fact, I, I thought this was his year to win. And if he doesn't have a phenomenal race in Martinsville uh, he's going to be on the outside looking in, which would be sad. It really would. I would love to see Hamlin get a championship and, you know, really cap off what has been an incredible career. You know, a lot of people call him the Mark Martin of this generation that, you know, folks, that's not a, uh, that's not an insult. (laughs) Okay. Um, being called the, the, uh, The Mark Martin of this generation is not an insult. You know, yes, Mark Martin did not win a championship in NASCAR, but in the NASCAR Cup Series. But when you look at the career he had, it was incredible. And he is one of the greatest drivers in the history of NASCAR. He is. He's incredible. It just so happened that he came up and was having his best seasons ever during the time of Jeff Gordon and Rick Hendrick. You know, it's it was one of those things like you go back and you look in the 90s at the great players that never won a championship because of Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. You had a two-year run with the Houston Rockets winning back-to-back when Jordan was playing baseball. Other than that, you know, it was the Bulls. that You know, that that's who dominated the 90s. And you have people like... You know Charles Barkley. You know the the some some great great players that could not get a championship because of Jordan, right? Patrick Ewing, right? You look at those Knicks teams. You look at those Indiana Pacers teams. I mean, you're great great basketball teams that if they were playing any other year, right, any other decade, they would be winning championships. But because of Jordan and the Bulls, they didn't, right? Those Utah Jazz teams put Stockton and Malone did not not get a championship because of Michael Jordan and the Bulls. And it was the same thing in the late 90s, early 2000s. Are you talking about that time with Hendrick and Gordon just dominating? And then obviously Jimmy Johnson, Chad canals come along. So, you know, a lot of people would look at Denny Hamlin if he doesn't win a championship as a disappointing career. I don't, I think that's the case. I would like to see him get one because I believe it would cap off a great career. It's like Dale Earnhardt Jr. You know, Jr. should have won the championship in 04. Uh, That was his year to win it. You know, he had that stupid penalty at Talladega for saying, you know, shit in his interview, which was dumb. I mean, and it just got wrecked. And there goes the championship, right? They won that race at Phoenix. They, I mean, they, they basically, that was, they had the championship locked up. They were going to win it and they didn't. And that was his really, that was his best shot at doing it. It would have been the best championship for him to get being that, you know, a couple of years after Dale senior dies, DEI had kind of been propelled, you know, those first few years after senior was gone before things really started falling apart. And they had six wins that year. I mean, they were hands down, that was their best year. And, you know, Junior never got that championship. Got to Hendricks, started off good, um, you know, had a couple of really good seasons, made the, you know, made the chase, the playoffs, that type of deal. And then, unfortunately, had issues with concussions. You know, it's it's just one of those things that happens. But another driver who never got a championship. And, uh, you know, is looked at differently because of it. I was hoping this year Hamlin was going to get a championship because I don't want him to be looked at that way because he has had such a great career. And make no mistake about it, it is a great career. But right now, it is not looking good. So, anyways, uh, just some thoughts on the playoffs will obviously be taken a much deeper dive into the final four after we know who those drivers are we'll be making our championship picks final championship picks uh heading into phoenix but last bit of news um in the nascar world before we move on to the dirt side of things because we got a ton of stuff to cover on the dirt side of things uh nascar announced that they will not Be reclaiming Rick Ware's 51 charter, even if they finish in the bottom three of charter teams. Now, if you guys remember NASCAR with this charter rule, they essentially came out and did this bottom three, three years in a row situation, where if you were a charter team and you finished in the bottom three of points of charter teams three years in a row, they could reclaim. Your charter and then sell it themselves. Um, NASCAR is not going to be doing that to Rick Rare Racing. Now, the biggest reasons for that is Rick Rare's alliance with RFK. They're using Roush 8 engines and then signing Justin Haley. Uh, they're showing that they are wanting. They're committed to performance. They are committed to improving and racing up front. You know, this rule was put in place to prevent teams from doing, you know, the old start and park where, hey, we're guaranteed X amount of money now with this charter. Let's start the race and then we'll just park it, collect the paycheck and then go to the next schedule, next next spot on the schedule. That's why this was put in place. That, you know, Rick Rose Racing is not doing that. Um, you know, and they're showing that they're not doing that. You don't make the commitments that they've made to start and park your car. That's, that's not what they're doing. So they have announced that they, NASCAR has announced they will not be exercising that, which is good. I don't think they should, uh, be the last thing you want to do is punish a team who is making the investment to improve. You know, you don't want to be like, Hey, well, I'm glad to see you're, you're got this new alliance with RFK and that you just signed Justin Haley, um but you know pff, these last three years sorry man we're taking that charter from you and you're going to be out 30 40 million dollars because you could have just sold it yourself like that's yeah that's not cool so glad to see nascar's not doing that and hopefully Rick Witter racing will will see that turnaround um that everyone's been waiting for um you know building on these recent investments so That's going to do it all for the NASCAR side of things. But when we get back from the break, we got a ton to get into, including the the, uh, Dirt Track World Championship at Eldora. What a crazy weekend that was. And then all kinds of news on the sprint car front, plus a big dive into the cost, money. And I'm going to shed some light on why we are seeing the top. Non wing drivers going wing racing, and why this high limit all star tour could cause even more of that. So, stick around. All right, everybody. So, we had last weekend the dirt track world championship at Eldora. Um, it the weather played a huge role in this unfortunately uh you know night one it's like rained out then the track was super heavy it was way too treacherous um we saw these nasty ruts forming we saw and what was it the steel block late model series (laughs) cars i just launched Uh, they stopped the racing because the track was too dangerous it picked up The following day and it was still very fast very bumpy you had to be on the throttle it was completely different than what we typically see at Eldora now the race itself was an absolute just battle of attrition unfortunately Ricky Thornton jr uh rough night for him um, you know, Don, Jonathan Davenport obviously did not have a great night himself, and he was really one of the, uh, he was probably the favorite going into, um, uh, the, going into the, um, the event, uh, you know, Superman has really, I guess you would say, you know, dominated, uh, Eldora, I mean, obviously this last year at the World one hundred Hudson O'Neill beat him, but you know Davenport's record at Eldora has been pretty freaking incredible, and uh he just had a it was not the typical Jonathan Davenport weekend at Eldora. we saw uh a bunch of drivers i mean there there was dude I think there was like 10 cars on the lead lap or something. It was, it was something insane. It was, it wasn't a lot. And, uh, the vast majority of the field, you know, had spent time in the pits. Brandon Shepard, who won the race was in the pits at the beginning of the race. You know, we saw cars breaking suspensions and losing tires and just craziness because of the track and coming down to the end, you had Devin Moran, who nobody gave a shot to win the championship he was like the the fourth wheel man like I mean he just people just like blew him off it was oh Hudson O'Neill oh Ricky Thornton Jr. Donathan Davenport and then it was like oh yeah Moran's made the final four too well he doesn't have a shot like that's how it was looked at and here we are clicking down the laps and Devin Moran is in the catbird seat to win this championship now Hudson O'Neill climbs up gets up there those two are battling and it comes down to the wire as Shepard is running out of fuel on the last lap and Hudson O'Neill throws a slider he ends up getting past Morant I mean it was tight and beats him to the line wins the championship and it was a incredible end to the season uh for Hudson O'Neill to cap off the year that he had right um in the Rocket House car he won the uh world 100 the first time for you know first time the Rocket House car wins the world 100 and you know gets the championship at Eldora in the dirt track world championship, Uh, you know, this final four that they did, it was insane. It was absolutely insane. I remember watching it and just, I was, I couldn't believe it. It was incredible. I thought Moran was going to, to pull it off and, you know, Hudson O'Neill came and, you know, got it, got the win. So congrats to him on his first Lucas oil championship. Um, Congrats to Brandon Shepard for you know, winning his, Fifth third track world championship race and uh i think that was his fifth third track world championship win and I, i think he now ties the record with uh who is it uh freddie smith in the 43 year history of the race so b shep you know the year started off rough for him uh they they were not doing very good at the beginning but you know going from rocket to Longhorn, they've got things figured out, and he is looking good. I think they are going to definitely be contenders for the championship next year, no matter what they run, okay, um, whether it's you know outlaw to outlaw schedule. Uh, Lucas Oil. I don't know what it is that they're going to run, but whatever it is, they're going to be contending for a championship uh, because they've really turned things on the second half of this year. And I would look to for them to continue that heading into the World Finals next weekend at Charlotte. So, congrats to those guys on the late model side. Lucas Oil season's now done. We do, like I said, we got to wrap up the World of Outlaws series um, in the late models at the World Finals, uh, pretty much Bobby Pierce has got that championship locked up. You know, he's dominated that that series this year. And um, he's going to be scoring his first outlaw championship at the World Finals. And then, yep, yeah, then we got the offseason. So, anyways, moving on. We got, obviously, the the big news is... High limits acquisition of the All-Star Circuit of Championships. Um, if we look at the press release that was put out, and I'll just kind of read this, you can see this on High Limits uh website. It says that the Highland Sprint Car Series has finalized the acquisition of the All-Star Circuit of Champions. NASCAR Cup Series Champion Kyle Larson and four-time World of Outlaws Sprint Car Series Champion Brad Sweet will take ownership of the regional series, owned by three-time NASCAR Cup Series Champion and Eldora Speedway owner Tony Stewart. Um, Sprint Car Racing is in a better place today because of the contributions Tony has made, including his ownership of the All-Stars, Larson said. Uh, He's committed to giving back to the sport and has been an inspiration to me personally. Brad and I share his passion for making the business side of the sport better for teams, drivers, and sponsors. And we're thankful for Tony's trust in us to carry on what he started. Um, Stewart purchased the All Stars back in 2015. He basically did it because the series was going to die. I mean, that was pretty much why he did it, you know. And he came in, revitalized it, and has really carried on. Uh, You know, if you want to read the rest of the 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 uh press release you can um in it you know stewart basically says like hey some series don't care about their drivers and teams larson and sweet do um taking a shot at the world of Outlaws. this brings into question all sorts of things because the biggest is is what's going to happen. Now, if you guys remember a couple of weeks ago, I talked about what I thought, basically what it was going to take if High Limit purchased the All-Stars and if the All-Stars were going to become a national tour, what that was going to take, right? And I went over that. I said, look, it's going to, you're going to need 60 to 70 races. You're going to need tow money. You're going to need a big purse. You're going to need all these different things. And, oh, by the way, we already have that. It's the World of Outlaws. And when you look at what High Limit did this year with the midweek racing, right, the Tuesday night races, which I think is genius, I really do. And I'm hoping they're not going to get rid of that. I'm hoping they're going to keep that. And now them owning the All-Stars it's really interesting because they could take this in a bunch of different ways, okay? And first and foremost, which is what people are worried about, they could try to compete head-to-head with the world of Outlaws. Now, I have heard people talking about how this could potentially destroy sprint car racing as we know it. This is literally... The next coming of CART and IRL, which is one of the most misplaced and misguided comments I've ever heard. Those, they're not even on the same plane. Okay. The CART and IRL split, if you go back and you actually look at what caused that, you had a sport, okay, in CART where you had the haves and the have-nots. Essentially, at that time, if you remember, you know, and this was going on for years. But you had teams that were spending millions of dollars. There was only a couple of competitive teams at the top. They had the money to go out and win races, right? You had the, you know, the Penske's, the Ray Halls, those, right, the Andrade's, like that. The top teams. You had teams who literally, it was like, okay, well, we need a Ford Cosworth engine to win. Otherwise, if we don't have one of those engines, we can't win. Well, we build those engines and we, we've we only got so many of them. So it looks like you're screwed, right? It was it's essentially the haves and the have-nots. You had Tony George, you know, that time, the head of the uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway. The entire series evolved around Indy. Make no mistake about it. IRL still revolves around Indy. Um, and they wanted a bigger say in it, right? You had the foundations laid for this split back in the late 70s i think it was 79 or 80 um when usac split with cart right all of the this stuff had been happening and there had been this butting of the heads for a very long time you had this democratic association with cart that was started that was going to change things and Like any type of democratic situation or board, right, governing body, what you end up with is you end up with a couple of very powerful members who essentially call the shots and everybody else kind of just falling in line. You know, Tony George wanted to go oval racing. He wanted to be more on the U.S. side of things, where you had these cart guys who wanted to take the sport you know, internationally and compete directly with Formula One, which was a stupid idea, right? Why, why try to go be like everybody else, right? Like it was just a dumb idea. And Tony George made a lot of very good points. Tony George also wanted more control and input, right? Let's make no mistake about it. This was not like we had these saints out there whose only interest was protecting the sport. This was absolutely about power and control and setting themselves up and looking out for their own self-interest. And there's nothing wrong with that. I tell people this all the time. There's nothing wrong with people looking out for their own individual self-interest. What you want to do is you want to make sure that you have enough of those people whose self-interests align with the good of everybody because that's when you see real progress and real innovation and steps forward. When you've got a couple of powerful teams or a couple of powerful individuals who have these self-interests that go against what the sport is trying to do, you end up with these crazy splits. And that's what we saw with CART and IRL. This had been brooding for years. You had two completely different philosophies on what they should be doing and who should control what. It It was doomed from the beginning. Imagine NASCAR, for example, right? is that you got this series and then the Daytona 500 is owned and, con- and controlled and ran by USAC, right? And then USAC is also wanting to be more involved and have more of a say in the future of NASCAR. I mean, how long do you think that is going to last? Not very long, right? There, I mean, there would be a split happening, Okay. That's what we saw in the whole cart IRL thing. Now, the USAC thing was already off. You know, that had already happened, but the groundwork was late. And then you had these two competitive factions butting heads on what the sport should be doing and where it should be going moving forward. And it was doomed to fail, doomed to fail. We don't have that in sprint car racing right now. Let's not pretend like the world of outlaws, okay, and High Limit are completely di- diametrically opposed on what the sport should be doing moving forward. Yes, Sweet and Larson, they think payouts should be higher. What driver doesn't think that, right? They think purses should be higher. They think there should be more money going to the drivers and teams. I agree with that. I absolutely do. When you look at the fact that we had you know essentially $10,000 payouts when the Outlaws started, back in 1978. I mean, like come on now, let's let's raise that up some. When you look at the costs to run an outlaw sprint car team, um, you know, that is something we've got to see um, you know, closed in terms of the gap, what these teams bring in and what they're spending because you cannot make everything dependent upon sponsorship money yes you've got to have sponsors yes that money definitely helps and you've got to have some of that coming in to be able to run these top series i'm not saying that any you know independent joe schmoe with a black car and a number right just no sponsors should be able to show up and compete with the outlaws that's not what i'm saying what i'm saying is is you should not have you know seven or eight teams where it's essentially like hey man if these guys lost their their big sponsor, right? If Hodden Shield loses NOS, what are they going to do? They're not running a full outlaw schedule, I can tell you that much, right? They're not just going to be just dumping money into a black hole. So you've got to have that gap closed, okay? You just have to. And I think High Limit wants to do that. I think with what we have seen with streaming and the money coming in, I think we're going to see that on the high-limit side. Now, it brings up a very interesting talking point because is there enough high-level sprint car teams to essentially field two national series? Right Now, a lot of people have talked about, well, hey, look at the Outlaws and the Lucas Oil late model series if you look at those and you look at the number of cars right the number of drivers teams that are essentially quote unquote full time right running those series that've committed to running those series full time you're looking at roughly it's like 38 39 drivers I and mean, it's almost split right down the middle it's like you know half and half i think it's like 15 in the outlaws 14 in lucas oil okay now the lucas oil series side note um lucas oil you know they do put up and subsidize a lot of the costs in that series i don't know what their books look like i have no idea if it costs them money or obviously you know being a company like that you know a lot of that stuff you can write off as marketing expenses and it's tax write-offs and stuff like that when you make the kind of money that a company like that makes you know it's probably still extremely profitable for them would be my guess right they might not be making money on the series but as a whole it helps them increase their bottom line that would be my guess okay i could be wrong on that but that would be my guess just knowing what i know about running a business and being able to expense you know um whether it's stuff for a series or a car or a team or whatever, right? it's all marketing expenses and things like that that you can write off. So, I do think that they are increasing their bottom line because of it. But like I said, I don't know for sure and I don't know how. When we look at the number of late model teams, right? When you the late models it's a whole lot more popular than the sprint cars, okay, than the wing sprint cars. If you look at where late models run and regional late model racing, especially when you get out to the Midwest and the South and and stuff like that, there's far more late model racing than there is sprint car racing. Obviously, sprint car racing is huge when you look at Ohio, Pennsylvania, Indiana. Now, Indiana is still more non-wing, but still, there's still big sprint car racing there. Um, you know, West coast, obviously California sprint car racing is huge out here. Um, we don't really do late model racing out here. Uh, we've got, you know, modified, right. IMCA is bigger out here, but we don't do, there's no big late model racing out in California. Right. It's, it's almost non-existent. Um, the last time I saw a late model on a track here in California, a guy what he owned a late model and a modified he was racing the modified they let him hot lap the late model by himself because he had a big race that he was going to like the next week in the midwest and he wanted to get some laps on a new motor or something like that was like the last time i saw a late model on the track here and that was probably 15 years ago so late model racing is not big out here But when you look at the cars and just the total number of cars, uh, especially when you start talking about like super late models and stuff like that, there's a lot more of those than there are sprint cars. And when you look at payouts and purses and and whatnot, um, you know, the money side of things, the late models seem to be doing a little bit better. All right. Just for my general observations, I don't have any, you know, diehard stats and numbers on that but just everything that i've seen and looked at it seems that the late model stuff is is a little bit better they definitely have more big money races and things of that nature but you know being able to support two series they're able to do that on the sprint car side of things it's a little bit different if you look at the number of drivers who are quote unquote full time with the outlaws and let's take old bill rose out of the equation because I when was the last time that that guy was like running the entire, um, you know, schedule? I, I, how many race, how many races has he even ran? Um, is it half? I mean, like it, it's, uh, it's, it's not, it's not a lot. He means, I think he's got like less than 20 starts on the year. So, Take him out of the equation. If you look at the quote-unquote full-time drivers, you've got what, 14? Um, Now, obviously, you do have some drivers that have made a lot of starts um, but are not quote-unquote full-time outlaws, especially if you look at someone like Buddy Kofoid um, in the 83 Junior car or even Rico um, Abreu, okay? That's another driver who has the Ability to run a full-time national tour, although I don't think he will. Uh, Eliason is another one. The Eleven Team, they're somebody who could also run full-time. Obviously, you do have a lot more um, the you know Pennsylvania guys, right? You could start looking at the drivers like Brent Marks or even you know Macri, uh, Deweese, right? The the Kreitz car, Um, you know. Brian Brown, uh, Parker Price Miller, uh, Tyler Courtney, right? In the 7BC, right? Like, so there's the, you know, Zeb Wise, right? That team. There are definitely teams out there who could step up and run a national tour, but will they? That's the question. Will they? And if you look at High Limit becoming a. a national tour that's going to compete with the outlaws we could see a split with the drivers now here's the thing though okay if you look at the late model side of things all right There is far more crossover with the late model drivers than there is with the sprint car drivers. And we don't see the drivers punished for this. This is something that I think a lot of people are missing. This is not a talking point that I hear made very often. Remember, the sprint car side of things with the outlaws, they had their, you know, little benefits package, right? Where it's essentially, hey, look. You've got four races that you can run that are non-outlaw shows. Once you run that fifth, your benefits, right, in terms of the points, fund and whatnot, is cut. And then if you cross that next threshold, which is like 10 races or eight races or whatever it is, it's cut again. You don't have that on the late model side. You don't see that on the late model side, right? Bobby Pierce, who will win the Outlaw Late Model Championship, he ran a ton of races with Lucas Oil, he's got five wins. With Lucas Oil, he was in more than eleven, like more than ten features. He's not getting punished. Brandon Shepard, right? He ran twenty-three features with Lucas Oil this year. He's third in the points with the Outlaws. There is a t- almost every outlaw driver on the late model side has ran a ton with Lucas Oil. Tanner English did, right? Uh, let's see. Brent Larson, Kyle Bronson. I, uh, it, it, every one of them ran a, a significant, they ran way more than four races. So I don't understand why the sprint car side of things, we've got to have this, this rule in place. I don't I don't get why we've got to have that with the sprint cars and not with the outlaws. Another thing, if you look at the number of, late model races with the outlaws it's half it is literally half of the sprint car races it's half there's like 70 on the sprint car side and there's like it's like less than 40 on the late model side that's a big big difference now i understand the World of Outlaws, it, it, it started with Sprint Cars. That's its thing, right? That's what got it going. In 1978, when the Outlaws started, it was a Sprint car series. It wasn't a late model series. I get that. But to me, a lot of this seems like the Outlaws are really shooting themselves in the foot. Because... They're restricting what their drivers can do. What the teams can do. When really all the teams want to do is race and make money. That's what they want to do. And yes, I get it. World of Outlaws. You want your drivers to be with your series. I understand that. The last thing you want going into, you know, like devil's bowl for example right last week at devil's bowl the last thing you want is the drivers who have no shot at winning the championship to be like ah screw it man we can't win this championship let's just go run this local show over here and bang you know bank 15k i get it you don't want that but you know how you could avoid that you could provide more money to your drivers That's all you got to do. At the end of the day, folks, this boils down to money. It's really simple. It's dollars and cents. That's what it is. We have seen the outlaws challenged by other series before, and the outlaws won them all on the sprint car side of things. They won them all. They were always the last man standing. And I've heard people say, look, there's no defined ladder system in sprint car racing. Uh, and you're right, there's not. There's also, you know, not a real defined ladder system in late model racing or modified racing, right? There's just not one defined in dirt racing in general. You know, people get mad that, oh, Knoxville Nationals, look at this clown in Hot laps. He's out there as a rookie wrecking. Well, you know, you got to start somewhere. And every driver... Even Brad Sweet, right? The four-time defending champion, probably gonna win his fifth championship this year, was a rookie in a 410 sprint at some point. So I don't think there's any way to get rid of that. And having a, a quote unquote ladder system, I you know, right now I think what we've had is the closest thing that we've ever had to a ladder system where you can run regionally, whether it's, you know, at your local track and then you have regional sprint car series like out here in california we've got the king of the west we've got the scct which is a 360 series you look at pennsylvania with all the stuff that they have with their track championships and their track you know their regional series and stuff like that and then you've got the all-stars which is still a regional series but it's on a much bigger scale it is traveling it is moving around and then you've got the outlaws and for the All Stars to be, you know, step up, right? When we're talking high limits acquisition of them, for them to now be a national tour and compete with the Outlaws, if that's what happens, I don't think that's a bad thing. And I think if you could have those two series have. Do you have to run every weekend? You know what I mean? Like, these guys run a ton. They really do. But I would say give them the opportunity to choose to run that much. If you've got somebody who wants to go out and run 100 races, then by all means, do it. But don't force them to run 100 races in your series. You know, that's, that's my thing. You know, is it really going to kill the Outlaws if they, if they pair back to, to 50 races, right? Is it gonna be the end of the world if they pair back to 50 races? And then open it up and say, hey, you guys, if you wanna if you want the points fund and whatnot, you gotta to commit to running the outlaws, but you can also go run other series, right? You can go run other events. We're not gonna put a cap on what you can do. Because I really do believe if the outlaws didn't have that, we wouldn't see this. Because like I said, this is it's about money, which brings us to The next portion of this episode. Now, when it comes to the money, um, this is really you know, and when we look at the series and the drivers, right? Where where are we? Are there going to be enough drivers? I mean, when you look at it, right? We've talked about it. Could there be enough and all these different things? When you look at the money side of things, um, and who this could really hurt. I actually have a completely different view on this than the vast majority of people out there. Because I don't think we're going to see the you know, quote-unquote downfall of wing sprint car racing, right? If if high limit goes to a national tour, what I think we're going to see is actually the downfall of non-wing sprint car racing. Uh, I think this is going to hurt USAC. I, I really do. And I know that that is not something that people are talking about that has even been brought up. But to me, that's who I see getting hurt the most by high limit because there is an enormous pool of top level known talent right when we start looking at the USAC drivers when you look at a, a Justin Grant a Brady Bacon of a, Emerson a Axum right Thomas Meserol, Mitchell Moles Kevin Thomas Jr. Logan Seavey When you start looking at these guys that are known for their USAC chops, right? And what they do in the USAC sprints or the Silver Crown or the Midgets, a lot of these guys have done wing races. And I would not be shocked to see a lot of them go full-time wing racing in the next year or two. And I'm going to break this down for you so you know why. Because we've talked about this in the past before me and Keith have talked about the money side of things. You know, we've we've talked about how we miss seeing Tyler Courtney running the the midgets and the sprint cars, but when you look at the numbers, when you look at the money, there's no reason I, there's no wonder why. You know, there's no hiding it. Right? When you see the numbers, you're like, oh, that's why Buddy Kofoid is running a wing car so much. (laughs) Right? Like, that's why Tyler Courtney went and ran full-time with the All-Stars the last few years. And I think we're going to see a lot more of it here in the very near future because of the fact that these drivers need to make a living. And USAC is not Stepping up the purses and the prize money and stuff like that. So just to give you an example of this, okay, what I did was is I went to sprintcarratings.com, okay, and sprintcarratings.com is done by a, a, a Bill Vanslow. He's the one who compiles all the data and he has a rating system where he rates the drivers and essentially a perfect rating would be a, a 1.0. All right. If you look at the, the top rated drivers right now and ratings are based off of, um, you know, the, the races, they win their wins, the, the, their average finish, the level of competition, right. Uh, the money they've earned, all of that is taken into account. So, for example, right now, the number one rated driver as of October 23rd, 2023 is Brent Marks. He has a rating of 0.7, call it 0.76. He's the number one rated driver. If you look at the number two rated driver, it's Kyle Larson. Okay. Now, even though Kyle Larson has ran a fraction of the races as Brent Marks, he's at a 0.7429, he's right behind Brent Marks. But when you compare the fact that, hey, he's had 17 wins in 56 races where Marks has had 33 wins in 158 races, you can see why that gap's been closed. But anyways, I say that because he tracks the money. And so if we look at the money from 2022 and 2023 for both winged 410 sprint cars and non-winged, 10 sprint cards because he tracks both of them all right this is where it gets really interesting now quick note i did remove the uh million dollars for logan Schuhart because that really skews the numbers right and that's a that's really a one-time thing okay we don't know who is going to be you know um, it, like, is that going to be happening again? I mean, you know, Carson Macedo, right? I mean, he, he, I mean, he finished what second or third. And like, that was his biggest payout too. So the Eldora million has been removed from these numbers because of the fact that we don't know if that's going to be happening, happening again. And if so, will it be for the midgets or, or midgets or this, is it going to be for the sprint cars or the late models or maybe some, we don't know. Right. So that's why. Those numbers are removed. I got to tell you, though, it doesn't matter. I could have taken those numbers out and just gifted them to the non wing side of things, and it would not have made a difference because it's alarming, the difference that we see. And it is absolutely no wonder why we have seen so many of these USAC guys go wing racing and why that is a trend that is only going to increase much, much more. So let's take a look at these numbers. We got the top 30 from each, okay? I've got the top 30 in winged earners over the last two years. This is 2022 and 2023. I've got the top 30 in non-wing earners over 2022 and 2023. First thing that you have to look at here is if we take the top earners, right? Let's just look at the top end here real quick. On the wing side, we've got David Gravel, Brent Marks, Donnie Schatz, Carson Macedo, and Brad Sweet. Those are your top five in earned money over the last two years. Gravel and Marks have both done over a million. Shots has done eight hundred and seventy-one thousand. Macedo has done eight hundred and twenty-seven thousand. Larson, or excuse me, Sweet has done seven hundred and forty-four thousand. All right. If we look at the top five in non-wing, you've got Justin Grant, Brady Bacon, Kyle Cummins, Jake Swanson, and C.J. Leary. Those are your top five earners over the last two years. Okay. Justin Grant. At the top of the non wing has earned $264,000. Bacon's at 241, Cummins at 211, Swanson at 200,000, 200, call it 201,000. And CJ Leary is just under 200,000. He's at 199,975. Call it 200K. That is a massive discrepancy, massive discrepancy. If we look at Justin Grant at the top at $264,000, keep in mind, Justin Grant just locked up the non-wing sprint car championship for USAC because Red Dirt Raceway got rained out. He would be number 25 on the wing list. That's it. He would be ahead of Kerry Madsen, Justin Sanders, Corey Day, who is a high school kid who runs regionally out here in California, right? Granted, Corey Day did win the Gold Cup this year, but still. Parker Price Miller, Brock Foss, and Hunter Schoenberg. That's who Justin Grant would be ahead of. He would be behind Jacob Allen, who hasn't even ran the full season this year. Aaron Reitzel, Corey Eliason, Lance DeWeese. I mean, it, it's insane. now. One thing to note, and this is where numbers can be funny and we can make, the, I can make these numbers look any way that I want, because one thing to note is, is we can look as we would be like, well, Tommy, I mean, over the last two years, right? Justin Grant, the highest money earner in the non-wings, he's only run 90 races where gravel has run almost twice that many at 153. So true, There's a lot more winged races. Okay lot more wing races, which means your opportunity to earn money is also greatly increased. But if you look at it based on a per average, it's still not even close, right? Where you've got David Gravel, and let me calculate this real quick. So if we look at Gravel's total money by his total... David Gravel is averaging almost $7,500 a race. Okay. Where Justin Grant, and let me do this right here because I can do this really quick. Uh, That divided by that. Justin Grant is averaging just under three grand a race. Okay. So $7,500 versus three grand. All right. Now. Once more, right, we can make the numbers look all kinds of ways. So let's. Kill some more arguments here, Uh, Tommy. That's David Gravel, the 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 top, right? I mean, what about the rest of the field, right? Because it's I mean, up the top drivers, of course, they're doing phenomenal. Of course, Kyle Larson's crushing it because he only comes out and runs the biggest races right? So that kind of skews the numbers. Okay. Well, let's take another look here. If you look at it based on, let's look at the bottom drivers. All right. The bottom of this top 30. Okay. If we look at the bottom five, like I said, you've got Hunter Schurenberg, Brock Zierfrost, Parker Price Miller, Corey Day, and Justin Sanders. Keep in mind, Corey Day and Justin Sanders are for the most part, regional drivers, Yeah, they run some outlaw stuff, or they ran some high-limit stuff this year, but for the most part, they're out here on the West Coast in California. Okay? like It's not like they're running full-time outlaw or full-time even all-stars. Okay? Those guys, Sanders averaged over 3K, Corey Day, 2,800, Parker Price-Miller, 1,800, Brock Zierfoss, just under 1,400, and Hunter Schürenberg right about 1,600. That's per race. That's the money that they're earning per race based on winnings. All right. Justin Sanders, who's at 3K per race, he averages more money per race than all of the non-wing drivers. all of them. He averages more than Justin Grant, who's at the top of the money list in the non-wing sprint cars. Corey Day averages more than all of the non-wing drivers except Justin Grant. So Brady Bacon, who's the number two money earner, averages per race less money than Corey Day. And Bacon has ran 92 races and Corey Day has ran 86. Corey Day has 15 wins over the last two years. Bacon has 16 wins. And Bacon is a full-time USAC driver. You're talking about a national, basically a national tour. All right, I know it's more regionalized because of that type of racing, but still. Okay, that is considered a national tour. Corey Day is out here running King of the West. Yes, he, he ran the Outlaw Swing and stuff like West Coast Swing, but you know ran a few All-Star races, but he's doing King of the West. Some of these other drivers, right, who are, keep in mind, you guys, they're the top of the food chain when you look at them in terms of USAC sprint car drivers, right? Like if you were going to start a USAC sprint car team, these guys would be on your short list of drivers that you would want to hire. Kyle Cummins, $2,800 a race. Jake Swanson. 1600. Leary, two grand. Robert Ballou, 1700. Logan Seavey, under $1,300 a race. Matt Westfall, a thousand. Kevin Thomas Jr., 1300. Mitchell Moles, 1236. Timez, just over a grand is what Timez averages per race. The number of drivers on the total money, okay, over the last two years, the top 12 for the non-wing sprint cars did six figures, made over $100,000. That's Grant, Bacon, Cummins, Swanson, Leary, Ballou, Axum, Seavey, Rogers, Westfall, Kevin Thomas Jr., and Chase Stockton. Ricky Lewis was close. He was at 92000 Okay, that's total money. Total money. The lowest driver in the top 30, Hunter Schoenberg, did 194000 He did more than everybody minus the top five on the non-wing side. This is the problem. It's this. Everyone's talking about how this high-limit all-star thing, how it's going to hurt the world of outlaws. I don't think it's going to hurt the world of outlaws. I think it's going to crush USAC. I really do. We've already seen a lot of these USAC drivers going wing racing. We've seen it. We've absolutely seen it. and. I think it's only going to increase, right? I mean, Brady Bacon this year ran, what, 30 wing races? You know, C.J. Leary ran a dozen wing races, I think. Jake Swanson, I think he ran like 15 or 20 wing races. He ran 17 wing races. Robert Ballou, I think he's only ran like one or two. But, you know, Emerson Axum, he ran seven or eight wing races. Tmez even ran a couple of wing races. Right? Uh, CV ran a handful of wing races. And keep in mind, they're talking about 410 wing races. They're not counting, you know, the 360 wing races that some of these guys did, right? A bunch of them were back here in California last weekend running Trophy Cup because it's a huge 360 sprint car event. So that's who I think is going to get hurt by this. It's not going to be the outlaws. The outlaws will survive high limit all stars they will survive. If anything, I think it's going to drastically help the sport. I was talking to my buddy Kyle like I said earlier who owns sprint car teams when we were talking about it. And he's like, I think it's going to be awesome. He's like, I think it's only going to improve things for everybody. He said, "Yeah, they might have to kind of figure out their places, right? In terms of, you know, competing with one another and stuff like that." He goes, "But ultimately, I think it's going to it's going to help Sprint car racing as a whole. And keep in mind. In California. Sprint car racing has a wing on it. Unfortunately. I think it's going to. Hurt. The non-wing stuff. I really do. When you start looking at. The money available. And the racing available. Because that's the thing you guys. You got to look at this you got to think about this in terms of a, of a paycheck. These, this is these guys' jobs, right? When you're looking at the top, especially when you get to the top 15, top 20, this is their job. It's no wonder why these USAC guys run Sprint Cars, Midgets, and Silver Crown. They have to. If you want to make a living doing this, you have to. You've got to run all those. Or be completely dominant in one of them. And unfortunately we've really seen the USAC side of things. Kind of tail off. It's not what it used to be. You know USAC racing when I was a kid growing up was huge. It was huge. That was the path to Indy you know, to bring this kind of full circle, you know, the whole cart IRL thing that, you know, IRL kind of opened up to, you know, as a, as a path for a lot of these USAC guys to find their way to, to Indy. It's not just, you know, not just the Indy 500, but Indy car racing. We saw Jeff Gordon go to NASCAR, we saw Kenny Irwin go to NASCAR, we saw Tony Stewart go to NASCAR, right? Casey Kane, NASCAR, right? We've seen a lot of these big time dirt USAC guys going to NASCAR. And now when you look at it, you know, USAC midget racing is essentially it's a stepping stone. It's where you've got kids with talent. And parents with money buying rides. Right. Yeah, you've still got the the Justin Grants and the T-Mes's and the Logan C. Like you've still got those guys who are who are hired, right? Who are being paid X amount of money, whether it's a percentage of the of the of the winnings or a salary, whatever it is. But it it's it, midget racing is not what it was. It it really isn't. When we were running midgets out here, when I was working on midgets and running midgets, I remember running a USAC Western States show, and there'd be 40 cars for a USAC Western States show. It wasn't the national midget series. It was the Western States. We'd show up to a national event. There'd be 60 midgets there. Now, that's not the case. And the guys who were running them were legit drivers. Legit drivers, right? Oh, you know, you had Jason Leffler and Ryan Newman and Tony Stewart and uh, Damian Gardner and JJ Yaley, you know, Casey Kane, just top of the food chain midget drivers. I mean, legit. Corey Crewsman, Dave Darland. Right? I mean, just all these guys, just legit midget drivers. That's not really the case anymore. You know, it's just it's not. It's really fallen off. You've got a handful of those guys who are who are well-known veterans of the sport, and then you've got a lot of up-and-coming kids. and And I'm not saying that's a that it's a bad thing. You know, don't don't misconstrue what I'm saying as as negative. What I'm telling you is that it's changed, and it seems that it's lost a lot of the shine that it used to have. Midget racing was seen in a far more uh, brighter light than it is now. Same thing with the non-wing sprint cars. They were a much bigger deal than they are now. Right. Like that used to be a legitimate decision for drivers. You know, I I remember guys coming up out here in California who had talent, and it was a legitimately difficult decision. You know, you'd have somebody who had some talent, and they'd be like, man, I got a a ride offer, go back to Indiana, and I can run, you know, USAC sprints, or I got a midget ride, or, you know, I've got this opportunity, so and so wants to run. You know, the back then it was like the Golden State Challenge or something like that. It was a West Coast, you know, series, 410 series. Want to run that and then we'll do the outlaw swing on the West Coast at the beginning of the year and at the end of the year. Um, You know, they're like, and it depended on what they wanted to do. Like if you wanted to go to NASCAR, you went USAC racing or you wanted to go to Indy. If you wanted to, to go with the outlaws, if you wanted to be, you know, your goal was to be the next Steve Kinzer, well, then you went, obviously you went sprint car racing. And now you've got guys who are, they want to be professional dirt racers, which is awesome. The fact that you can be a professional dirt racer is incredible. That you can make a living driving a dirt car is freaking amazing. And unfortunately, when it comes to the money, we're seeing more and more of these guys having to put the wing on the car because that's where the money is. That's where the money is. And I think if high limit decides to go national, right? Even if they don't go national, but even if they if they if they do what the all-stars were doing and they just up the purses. Right? They increase the purses. They increase the points fund. I think you're going to see even more of these USAC guys wing racing. I think you're going to see a lot more of it because you've got to get drivers from somewhere. And if you're a team and you've been operating regionally, and now all of a sudden you've got this opportunity to run more of these races and earn more money and do what you love. But maybe your your driver, right? Maybe he's 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 good, right? Out here. He's good for California, but he's not a he's not a national level driver. Well, now maybe you go get yourself a, a Kevin Thomas Jr., a Logan CV, a Brady Bacon. Right? A team as. If you go get one of those guys and say, Hey, how'd you like to run forty or fifty wing races this year? You'll make a lot more money. Because when you look at a difference, right, in terms of the top thirty in payouts, if you looked at it on a on an average race on a on a Per race basis in terms of money. The top 30 in non-wing sprint cars. Average $1,200 in earnings. The top 30 in wing sprint cars. Average 3500 That's three times the amount. And last time I checked. Those wing cars don't cost three times as much to run as the non-wing cars. In fact, it's pretty close in terms of budget. Pretty close. The wing cars are a little bit harder on the motors because you've got that wing. And then you've also got to get the wing, right? Got to get get the wings. But overall... (laughs) They're pretty much the same car. I mean, it's not like it used to be where you could literally just take the wing off and do a non-wing race the next day. You just blocked a difference, set it up different. It's not like that anymore. I mean, they're, they're two distinct cars now. But for the most part, if you're a non-wing driver, right, or you own a non-wing team and you want to go wing racing, uh, that's, you can do that. That's feasible. And if you have another potential series that wants to operate, you know, on a big time level like the World of Outlaws or maybe maybe not as big as the Outlaws, maybe it's just the All-Star level or bigger than what the All-Stars were. That's going to put out a whole lot more opportunity for drivers to make not just money, but good money. Because if you can average, think about this, if you can average 2 grand a race, well now it's just simply a numbers game. How many races do I need to run to make $2,000? And even if you look at it based on a split, right? Because this is their total money earned. So let's just say that they're only getting half of the winnings, right? You cut that number in half. Well, now you're looking at $1,600 for a wing driver and you're looking at $600 for a non-wing driver. So now it's just a matter of, all right, if I'm making $1,500 a race, how many races can I do this year? And it's not like these guys don't love racing. If I had the talent of one of these guys and you said to me, hey, Tommy, over the next two years, you're going to run 150 races, I would, I'd, I, I would be thanking my lucky stars. I would be dancing, okay? I, 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 would, I would be celebrating in a way that... I would not think possible <laughs> all right i I really would. you know, don't get me wrong, it's these guys' job, and when something that you love becomes your job, you have a different mindset about it, but they still love it, and I think this could be the biggest change that we see in dirt racing. I don't think it's gonna be the downfall of the outlaws or the downfall of High limit or the all stars. I don't think we're gonna see. A, you know, the dirt version of a cart IRL split. I don't think that's going to happen. What I think is most likely is we see a lot more USAC guys going wing racing. Because obviously they're talented drivers. It's just a matter of adapting to that style of racing. And when you look at someone like a Tyler Courtney, who, I mean, just hit the ground running and is now one of the best wing sprint car drivers in the country, right? Obviously, he's uber talented. But when you look at someone like that, who was able to do it? You look at a Buddy Kofoid, right? Like these guys who have made that switch There's a lot of other drivers that have got, you know, a similar talent level, or close to it. Who can do it? If I owned a wing car, I would not have any reservations about putting a Timez or a Logan C.V or Emerson Maxim in my car, right? Or Justin Grant or Brady Bacon or you know something like that. I'd gladly put them in my car. Gladly. And I think you're going to see a whole lot more of that. Because when it comes to the financial side of racing, and make no mistake about it, money is, as Christian Horner said, cash is king. And when you're looking at a, literally, a four-to-one disparity in terms of money earned. Right? The average for the top 30 in wing drivers over the course of two years in terms of earned money, the total, $485,000. The average for the non-wing guys, $98,000. That's a huge discrepancy. That's a chasm So that, I believe, is going to be the biggest potential change in sprint car racing. I don't think it's going to be the end of the outlaws. I think it could potentially be a big downfall for USAC. And for me personally, I think that would be sad to see I know there's not a lot of people out there who, who like non-wing racing anymore. I've heard a couple of people be like, yeah, if you're outside of Indiana, you don't want to watch it. But that's not true. I still love it. There are there are some of us that still love that that form of racing. But unfortunately, it's getting buried by wing racing. And it looks like it's not going to continue with the shovel. But it's going to basically be done with a backhoe and a dump truck. So that's going to do it for this week's episode. I know we covered a ton, but I really wanted to, to, to get into all this stuff, especially the, the whole merger with the All-Stars and High Limit and what could it mean. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff that's going on behind the scenes and we'll know more when scheduling comes out and what the um, intentions of High Limit are. I think after world finals is when we'll definitely learn some more. I do have um a little bit of an insight, or I should I shouldn't say an insight, but uh an in to the higher ups of High Limit and the All-Stars. Uh hopefully I might get some news here in the next couple of weeks, so uh which would be cool. Um, and if I do, I'll I'll definitely share that with you guys. But um, yeah, for now, that's, that's pretty much it on, on the merger. Um, you know, we are not going to know more until after world finals, which will definitely be fun to keep an eye on to see if Brad Sweet gets his fifth straight championship. Um, that would, I mean, what a story that would be five straight outlaw championships. Then you ride off into the sunset and run your own series. So, um, <laughs> we'll have to see if that's, that's the story that they're going to go with. But anyways, you guys, that's going to do it all for this week. Thank you very much as always for joining me. We'll be back next week. Please download, like, share, subscribe, all that other good stuff. Let me know what you think of today's episode. Um, you know, shoot me a, a message or a comment. If you want to ask us a question, ask3wide at gmail.com. You know, just whatever. You know, get it out there. Keep doing what you're doing. Keith and I really appreciate it. And we'll be back here next week to do this all over again. So until then, as always, have a great weekend. Take care.